25th chapter of the book of Exodus. Oh, thank you. Let's prepare to give unto the Lord. Father, we thank you right now for the opportunity to uh, bring our tithes and offerings unto you. We ask that you bless them now, Father, as we present them to you. And we thank you for providing for us in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may go forward. Okay, Exodus 25, in the word of the Lord, tonight, the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy part of the tabernacle in the most holy place of the tabernacle where the presence of God resided in the tabernacle. It is the most holy piece of furniture in the tabernacle of Moses. Exodus chapter 25 beginning with verse 10 in the word of the Lord. And we will read through verse 22, Exodus 25, 10 through 22. Tonight we will finish the tabernacle of Moses by studying the Ark of the Covenant. Amen. All right, praise the Lord. Can everybody see? That somewhat, let me turn the lights off just a little bit. Okay, Exodus chapter 25, beginning with verse 10. Thou shalt make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. So we're about, uh, the size of the ark is about three and three quarters, uh, three feet, three and three quarters feet long. It's about two and a quarter uh, feet wide and high. And verse 11, Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof, and two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. Thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. Thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. That's interesting. Thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. So it's exactly the same dimensions as the ark, uh, the chest. Okay. Verse 18, Thou shalt make two cherubim of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. The cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings and their faces, shall look one to another 
toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we come forth now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you for your anointing. Your word is always anointed, God. We ask, God, that you would inspire us to preach it and also to receive it. In the awesome name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay, if you'll look up here, you will see uh, on either monitor the Ark of the Covenant. Go through some graphics for you first. Okay, there we have the Ark is going to be made out of shadow wood or the acacia tree, two and a half cubits its length and a cubit and a half its width and a cubit and a half its height. This gives you a picture of it inwardly and outwardly. So it is a coffer, a chest, and a chest or a coffer is used to preserve things or to protect things. And then we see uh, it's going to be overlaid with gold. Now what is interesting really is that it's, you have the wood, okay, which is one box. Then you have another inward box and an outward box. So really what you have here is three boxes. It's one art but three boxes. Gold on the outside, then wood, and then gold on the inside. And then you have this ring that lays on the top of the ark right there that conceals the wood on the edge. Okay? We'll explain all of this to you, Lord willing. It's an animation. And you see how that wood chest fits into the gold chest, then the inner, and then here comes the top to conceal the gold itself, or the wood itself. So all you see is gold in the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, then these are the gold rings that are going to go on the side as we read to you of the Ark of the Covenant for transportation through the wilderness. There are a total of four rings that it may be balanced as they go through the wilderness. You can see these rings are attached to the side of the Ark of the Covenant. These are the stays, of course, and also made out of shadow wood. 
and they are also overlaid with gold. This stage went into the rings so that they could, as I said, transport the Ark of the Covenant. This is the overlaying of gold upon the staves. And then you see the staves placed into the Ark of the Covenant, the rings there. And uh, you will notice that on the ends, they're sort of oblong, so a little bit larger on the ends than the stave rod itself because the staves are going to stay in this ark, which is unique for the other piece of furniture to have the rings to carry, like the table, stove bed, uh, etc. They have staves and the altar of incense, but when they are positioned in the tabernacle, they are not left in the piece of furniture. But in the Ark of the Covenant, the staves are left, particularly in the Ark of the Covenant. So the edges of the staves are a little bit bigger. Now they are able to slide them through those rings with effort. They can't just fall out. That's why they've got a little bit different size on either end of the rod so that they will stay in. We'll explain that to you as well, the significance of that. Some animation here. As the rods, the staves go into the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, now verse 15 says that the uh, staves are going to remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be removed from it. We'll explain, as I said, the significance of that to you. And then the Lord tells them that this chest, this coffer, this ark is built to put the testimony in, which is the law of God. You should put into the ark the testimony that I shall give thee. Now maybe some of us, when we think about the law of God on the tables of stone, we might have thought that these were like rock that you find in West Texas. But actually, the stone that was used for the law was sapphire. It was very, very beautiful. Okay? You see the blue here. Very beautiful tables of the law. See some animation here. You can see the tables of the law being placed here into the ark. We'll also talk to you from Hebrews 9, verse 4, to explain to you the other things that were located inside of the ark itself. We have the tables of the law, we have Aaron's rod that budded and the golden pot of manna. Now later in history they would put the written law as well as the table of stones in this and that written law was written by Moses.
Okay, something different with the mercy seat is that there is no shot and wood, no wood at all in the mercy seat. It's one solid piece of gold that weighed approximately 700 pounds. Okay, so again, no, no shot and wood in the mercy seat at all. One solid piece of gold and even the cherubim were fashioned out of that same piece of gold and they were not taken, you know, fashion taken and, and put on the mercy seat. They were a part of the mercy seat and were made out of one piece of gold. Okay, you can see them here. As I said, they, they did not place these on top of the mercy seat. It was actually a part of the gold itself. Alright, so you should make two cherubim of gold beats and shall you make them from both ends of the lid. Very, very intricate work here. Okay. You'll see the finished, not completely finished here, but the faces that they had and the way they faced each other. Uh, they were put on the ends of the mercy seat. Again, 700 pounds solid gold. And they looked faced toward each other. Now, there's a little bit of a blocking here purposely by the author of this because of the holiness of this mercy seat here and not allowing us to see with clarity the faces of the cherubim because they, they hold it in such reverence. Okay, So the faces are facing toward each other but then the scripture says that they are looking downward onto the mercy seat facing toward each other but slightly looking downward. Now, the Bible tells us about the wings of the cherubim. They are coming out from the back of the cherubim, and they are going over. I think over here we're going to take that off the screen. See if I can get it back. Okay. Alright, so you can see it, uh, the wings coming out, and they're not going sideways, but they're actually coming out from the back of the cherubim here, and they are going over the top. They are not higher than the heads of the cherubim. They are at the same height as the heads of the cherubim. So they are coming over the top, and they are meeting, I guess, here. The cherubim shall be with wings sped upward, sheltering the lid. So they're protecting the lid. Alright? From assault, from attack. Blood is going to be applied on that mercy seat right there. And they are protecting that blood from assault. Okay, we'll explain that to you as well. Let's see if I can give you some animation here.
okay. He's, God tells him you're going to place the lid. Okay, so this chest here. We're going to put the law of God in there. But we're going to put the lid on top of it. Okay, so right here. This lid is covering to cover the law of God. So it's very important to understand the lid. We'll talk about that as well. Get some animation here. God says the purpose of it gives us the purpose for it it is theirs that I shall arrange audience with you and uh, Moses would go of course and speak to God God would speak to him from right here what is interesting is and the glory of God would be above this above the tabernacle etc he would speak from between the cherubim with a very very loud voice what uh, the Hebrews say about this is that it's a very loud, booming voice that only Moses could hear it. Okay? He would hear it coming from the throne of God or the mercy of God. And so it was so that God could speak with you from atop the lid, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, and it is all that I shall command you pertaining to the children of Israel. Okay. And that was Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now, we're going to uh, explain to you the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in Exodus 25, as you notice, before the plans were even given to build the tabernacle, God commanded Moses to build the Ark. It's very interesting that God tells them to prepare furniture before he tells them to build the tabernacle. Now we've already covered the tabernacle but in sequence, you'll notice Exodus 25 after God commands them to take the offering for all the materials of the tabernacle he goes right in and starts talking about the furniture. Uh, if you build a house normally you're not concerned with furniture until after you build the house. But with God, it's different. With God, He is concerned about the furniture before He was concerned about the house that housed the furniture. And He starts with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we started from the outside in the outer enclosure and made our way in our study, because this is the last lesson. We made our way from the outer enclosure into the presence of God. 
in our study. That's man's approach to God. God starts with the ark and goes outward. So his approach is God coming to man to save man by grace. Okay? There's two ways to study it. You can study it man's approach to God, or you can study it God's coming to man by grace. Okay? So the Ark of the Covenant is the first piece of furniture mentioned. It is our last lesson that is the first piece of furniture that is mentioned, and he mentions the furniture before he does the tabernacle because without the Ark, without the presence of God, which it symbolizes, there's no need for a tabernacle. So if you don't have God, you don't need a tabernacle. You see that? See? So he starts with the furniture, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and then he will go from there and he will tell them to build the tabernacle because it is going to be the house of God. And there is no need for a tabernacle if you don't have God there. Okay, let's go over to Deuteronomy 10. And something unique about the ark as well is that Moses himself built the ark, the Shittim wood part of the ark. Moses himself, okay? He did it by himself. All right, so if you look up here, you'll see the Shittim wood, uh, Deuteronomy 10. At that time, the Lord said unto me, speaking to Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and come up unto me into the mount, and make thee an ark of wood. He's telling Moses, now Moses has already broken the first set, so God is telling him, uh, now Moses is going to have to hew. He broke the first set, so now he's going to have to provide the second set. Okay? So God tells him to hew those two tables of stone like unto the first and come up unto me into the mount. And then he says to Moses, and make thee an ark of wood. So Moses himself is the one that is going to build or built that ark of wood. Okay? And then he says this, And I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest, and thou shalt put them in the ark. So Moses had to provide the tables of stone because he broke the first set. God is still going to write the law on those tables. Okay? And again, it's, it's not like you see in Clint, Clint Eastwood, the movie Clint Eastwood, the Ten Commandments. He's got these stone looking rock looking commandments these were very very beautiful stone sapphire okay uh, almost like glass when you look at it very 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 rare so God is going to write uh, the commandments on these new stones that Moses is providing and Moses is going to make that ark of wood himself okay uh, verse 2, And I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest, and thou shalt put them in the ark. Now what I want you to notice is that when God tells Moses to build that ark, that chest, in this passage there's no gold mentioned. 
And I wonder why there's no gold mentioned. It's just a wood chest or a wood coffer, an ark. And God says that Moses is going to place those tables of the law in the wood without the gold in this case. Okay? Turn to Psalm 40. I'll do my best to explain that to you. What does a shaven wood represent? And of course, the Ark of the Covenant speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Prince of God indwelled him, obviously. Psalm 40. Verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And that is a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, thy law is in my heart. So when we look at this Ark of the Covenant, this is a picture, of, obviously, of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So God tells Moses going to put the law inside of this ark it represents the law of God being inside of the heart of Jesus Christ the reason why in Deuteronomy 10 you don't have any gold and you have the placing of the law in this shiden wood is because Jesus kept the law as a man gold speaks of deity uh, the shiden wood speaks of his humanity so God tells Moses to put the law inside of the wood in this particular case. You understand what I'm saying? And then later on they'll put it in the chest with all the gold and everything. But in this case, it's just the wood. Because Jesus, when he came into the world, kept the law of God as a man. And he kept the law perfectly as a man. He kept the law as God. He kept the law as a man. Okay? He obeyed it completely, totally. He never sinned against God. Now, it's important you catch this. As a man, he never sinned against God. And as a man, his heart, his will, was totally committed to God continually and constantly. There was never a time when the man, Christ Jesus, did not obey God 100% and love Him as a man, love God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, and with all his mind. And He is the only one that it can be said that He loved the Lord with all of His heart, all of His soul, all of his strength and all of his mind. That cannot be said of any of us. We are commanded to love the Lord with all our heart, with all of our soul, with, of our, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. We are commanded to love him that way. But nobody in this church, including your pastor, has loved the Lord constantly, continually, perfectly. 
So God tells Moses, you take that ark, that, that shining wood box, and you put the law in there because it's a picture of, of Jesus when he comes in the world. Yes, he's God deity, but he is a man who would, and he is going to love God and love the will of God 100% of the time, constantly and continually. He will never sin against God, so put it in the humanity. Put it in the wood. Put it in the shining wood. Amen? Now, we love God. Amen. Yeah, I know I'm speaking to people here today that you are, uh, I know you're not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, that you're the naos of God, that you're the holy of holies of God, the spirit of God dwells inside of us, right? But even though God dwells in us, just like uh, the holy of holies there, nobody in this church has ever loved God constantly and continually with all of their being 100% of the time. That's why I've taught you before, when you say, I love you, Lord, really, you say, let's love God. Really, all you can do is love Him back. Because He loves you with a perfect love. And, and to say, I love God, for you to say, I love the Lord. For me to say, I love the Lord. You know, it's not 100% perfect. So all I can do is love Him back. And what is interesting, though, is that you need to catch this, is that he obeyed God as a man. Not as God. You say, yeah, well, Jesus was God, and that, that's why he could obey the law of God 100% of the time, perfectly, continually, and constantly all the time, because he was God. You need to understand that the law was put in the wood in Deuteronomy 10 to teach you as a man he did. So that removes your excuse, and it removes my excuse for saying, I'm a man, and, uh, you know, I just, I come short, and we do, but I'm talking about excuses. So God says, Moses, you build a wood chest, a coffer, you put the law in there, because you need to understand that when Jesus comes as a man, he's going to obey God and he's going to delight in the will of God and he never sinned against God. So this Deuteronomy 10 passage teaches us it takes your excuse away. It takes my excuse away. And we live in, we, I'm just telling you to be honest with you, you live in such a liberal nation. Liberal churches and liberal people everywhere. And they want to just make excuses for their failures and their sin, their shortcomings and their they just, you know, but God is showing you in Deuteronomy 10, it was a man that kept his law perfectly. And it was a man that obeyed the will of God 100% of the time, constantly and continually through his whole life. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example in that way once we become born-again believers. Amen. We are to obey him without question. So, yeah, as God, obviously as God, he didn't break the law because God cannot sin. Correct? It's impossible for God to sin. So yes, he, Jesus is God. He didn't break the law as God, but he did not break the law as man. That's why he says, put it in the wood, the ark. You make that shot in wood and you put that inside of the ark. All right, you with me so far? Okay, now let's talk about this, this wood speaks of the humanity of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is, of course, the human generation of Jesus. 
Now, the Shidon wood was taken from where they lived, the desert, the wilderness. And the Shidon wood or the acacia tree is a tree of some size. It's not little bushes like the hyssop. Uh, it is a tree of some size. Okay, so they would go into the wilderness and uh, they would get the Shidon wood or the acacia tree. And in order to get that Shidon wood that would go into this ark right here, they would have to cut it down. This Shidon wood, as you can see, is sort of brown and orange in color. That's the way the wood looked. And when you looked at it, it really wasn't beautiful as far as the wood was concerned. As far as the humanity of Jesus is concerned, there was no beauty or comeliness that we would desire him. And that wood, not only was it not real beautiful in color, but it was twisted. It was twisted. It was so twisted, some writers say, that the heart of the tree was twisted. It's in a picture of your twisted nature. Now, Jesus, Jesus as a man, that we've already told you, was perfect. He did not have a sin nature, and he never sinned against God. So he wasn't crooked. He wasn't twisted. But you and I were. So there's a dual type in a tabernacle. Remember the humanity of Jesus, but also you're in my humanity. So they'd go and they would cut that, that acacia tree down, that shadow wood. It's so twisted, not very beautiful to look at. Had long old thorns about six inches long in length. And they would, <clears throat> at night, they would go at night and they would pierce that shadow tree, that shadow wood. And as they pierced it in the nighttime, a, glue, a gum would come out of that tree. A sap would come out of that tree. And that gum, sweet gum, flowing out of that tree was used for medicine, for healing for the body. So when we look at this, we have to understand this represents the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. And uh, they would go, as I said, into the wilderness and, you know, desert or whatever, wilderness or desert. And uh, you know that out there in that wilderness, there would be nothing but death and dryness and dust. And they would go and they would find life in the midst of dead things. Okay? It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came into the world surrounded by death, surrounded by sin. It's a picture of us in this world surrounded by death, surrounded by sin. In his human generation, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, so now the first verse tells us there shall come forth a root out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow of his root. So we have here the human generation of Jesus who is going to be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the human generation of Jesus. So he is uh, growing like a tree would grow. Uh, when you talk about wood, you're talking about something that grows uh, that's an earthly thing, right? When you talk about gold, 
gold is something that God makes. So gold speaks of deity or God. But the wood speaks of human generation, okay? Or human life. Now go to Isaiah 53, and we see there another prophecy concerning the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 1, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. Say dry ground. This tree, this human generation of Jesus Christ, the humanity of Jesus when he comes into the world, it's going to be dry everywhere. There's going to be spiritual death everywhere. Uh, so we see the prophecy here, just like the Shadon tree was in the desert, the wilderness is a, a dry and dead place. And so from that environment of death, we have life found there. We have life found in the midst of dead things. And Jesus comes into the world as a man, uh, and he's surrounded by dead things, but life is in him. Life in the midst of dead things. Amen. Say praise, praise, Lord. And we're surrounded by dead things, and we're surrounded by dead people, and we're surrounded by a sin all around us. But as we live for the Lord, and we're filled with the Spirit of God, we have life in the midst of dead things. There's life in us that comes from God, and I know we're surrounded by dead things. I'm surrounded by dead things. I live in the midst of dead things and dry things, okay? But there's life, God wants you to know, in that wilderness. It's the life, the life of God. And so we see in the passage the prophecy that He is going to be a root out of dry grounds. He's not going to come the first time He comes it's not going to come when there's huge spiritual revival breaking out in the world. He's coming in the midst of death. He's coming in the midst of religious people who don't even recognize him. They have a hard time recognizing the gold in him. All they can see is the humanity. There's no beauty or comeliness that they would desire him. But as he walked the old, dry, dusty streets of Jerusalem. He is God in flesh, the life of God, surrounded by dead things coming into the world to be cut down like that tree in order to bring life, coming in the midst of darkness, dying on Calvary's cross, hung upon wood. The wood, Jesus, if you will, typically being hung on wood. Let me say it again. The wood was hung on the wood. The wood was cut down. Jesus is that shot of wood. And he was nailed to wood. He was cut down so that you and I might experience life. He died that we might live. And they took him and they nailed him. They pierced him and they nailed him to that tree. And through that piercing of the darkness of Calvary and the darkness of sin in the world, he brought healing to you and I. So they would cut that tree down but in the nighttime they would go and they would pierce, say with me, pierce that shitem wood or that acacia tree and that awesome sweet gum would flow out of it and it would uh, be used for medicine for healing and so we see all these types and pictures in the humanity of Jesus being cut down, having been surrounded by death, they nail him to the wood of the cross 
And the Bible says, in the midst of the darkness of sin, the darkness of Calvary, Jesus in His piercing is producing healing for us. Amen. But when He came, there was no beauty or comeliness that they would desire Him. Nobody saw the gold. They got a glimpse of it every once in a while. We'll make reference to it maybe later on. Uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw the gold coming through His body. But when He walked the earth, normally nobody saw that gold, the deity of, God, of Jesus coming through. They just saw Him as a man. And they had a hard time understanding that He was God. Because when they looked at Him, He didn't have glory all around the outside of Him. He didn't have a halo on the top of His head, which is nothing but a, an emblem of the sun gods. Praise the Lord. He came in this world as a man, but he was God, the gold. But when you saw him, you didn't see the gold. You saw the, the man surrounded by death, surrounded by dryness, out of a, a root out of dry ground, coming into this world, cut down so that you and I could be saved. And I thank God for that. Amen? And then, obviously, it's a picture of us. We've been cut down by repenting unto the Lord. Being baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, replaced in His tabernacle. We become the Holy of Holies. We become the place where the ark once dwelt. Amen. Praise God. But there's life in the midst of dead things, and that's what that is teaching you about. So Moses is told by God to make that Shittim uh, chest, that chest out of Shittim wood, and to put that in law in there so that we would know that as a man Jesus Christ kept the law of God hallelujah yes he was God but in his humanity he delighted to do the will of God it was in him it was in his heart to do that let's go back to the book of Exodus 25 and we see verse 10 and so you shall make an ark of shadow wood two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof uh, so it's an oblong box uh, it is an ark verse 10 says it's an ark the word ark means a place of preservation it means a place where things are kept okay say amen so this there's so much in this but it speaks of God's ability to preserve us okay and to keep us the Bible says in verse 11 thou shalt overlay it with pure gold we've already talked about that how that it was basically three boxes I go over here and look on this other screen okay see it there Three boxes. First of all, the wood. Let me get you some animation, a picture here. All right, three boxes. One arc, three boxes. Now, as I said, this arc represents Jesus. God come in the flesh. The wood of his humanity, the gold representing his deity. And you see it's three separate boxes, but there's only one ark. 
So this lets you know that there's only one God. Okay? There's no such thing as three separate persons in the Godhead. There's only one ark. Okay? But we have three manifestations of one God. You see that? You've got the gold on the outside of the wood, on the outside of the humanity. You've got the gold on the inside of the humanity. So what you have here is three manifestations of one God, one ark. The gold on the outside speaks of God as Father in creation. The wood then that that overlay speaks of the Son, humanity. Okay, the humanity that God took upon himself. And then the gold on the inside of that wood speaks of the Holy Ghost indwelling the believer. Okay? The Spirit of God in Jesus Christ, indwelling the humanity of Jesus Christ. All right? So he's the Father in creation, the outward gold. He is the Son in his humanity to redeem man, and he is indwelt by the Holy Ghost. All right? Uh, just like we know there's only one God, Father in creation, Jesus is. The Father in creation, he's the Son in redemption, and he's the Holy Ghost indwelling the believer. So we see that, the gold in the wood, and then the gold on the inside. One God, one ark, not three arts. Amen? Now, if you ever come across a Jewish man, he doesn't believe that Jesus was God, all you have to do is go to that tabernacle and teach him right there from the Ark of the Covenant, and you have proof in the Ark of the Covenant that, that Jesus was not just a man in the wood, but he was God. He's gold. Gold comes from God. God makes gold. You understand? And so right from their own tabernacle, you can teach them that there's only one God, and his name is Jesus Christ. God would come in the form of a man. And you'll notice this, that it is the wood right here that gives shape to the gold. So when Jesus came into the world as a man, he was God come in the flesh. And just like the wood gives shape to the gold, the humanity of Jesus gave shape to God, if you will. Because God is an invisible, eternal spirit that is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But when Jesus came into the world as a man, he gave shape, if you will, to the deity of, Jesus, of, of God. All right? So we have the wood itself is what gives you the shape of the art, the shape of the gold. Say amen. So we have one God come in flesh, humanity. And when you saw Jesus, you didn't just see a man, but you saw God come in the flesh. All right? With me so far? Okay, let's keep reading down. Next is 25. It says, Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners thereof. And we have, when we come to the New Testament, we have the fulfillment of the four rings. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew, he's the king. In Mark, he's the servant. In Luke, he's the perfect man. In John, he's God come in the flesh. So the perfect ring, the, the perfect, uh, the four gospels are declaring Jesus Christ here. So put four rings on that, four gospels. And when those priests would walk, they would carry that ark in between them. 
and they would carry it upon their shoulders. And so uh, what we have here is a perfect balance of who Jesus was in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that, of course, is supposed to go to the whole world, four directions, north, south, east, and west. So you have four rings. Now notice this. We already pointed out to you in the passage that they were to put those stays in those rings and they were to carry that ark, the presence of God, through the wilderness. And those stays were never, never taken out of the ark of the covenant when it was put in the tabernacle. Now it was taken out when they built the temple and they put the ark in the temple and they removed the stays when they put the ark in the temple because that speaks of, of the kingdom age. Okay? The tabernacle speaks of the first coming of Jesus. The temple speaks of his second coming in the kingdom age. In the temple, you take the stays out because what we see there is the sovereignty of God doing things all by himself. Okay? But when you talk about the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it had the ark had to be carried. It had to be moved. And so the staves were never taken out of the ark, the ark when it inside the tabernacle. That's the most unique of all the pieces of furniture. The unique of all the pieces of furniture. This is the furniture. This is the only one that said it could leave the staves in. And what is this teaching you? Well, in the tabernacle, it's teaching you that God, because this represents God, the presence of God, is a moving God. Amen? So you, you God's going to move. He's going to move through the wilderness. And you never take those things out because God is constantly moving. He's a moving God. And if you've got God in you, you're going to be moving. Okay, so you can ask yourself tonight, are you moving? Only people who have God in them move. Now, I want you to think about this. You say, well, Pastor, I have the Holy Ghost, and I've had the Holy Ghost for 30 years, and I haven't moved in 29. Well, let me give you some scripture here. I always got to bring it to you this way. The Bible says, Know ye not that as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. So you might have got the Holy Ghost 30 years ago, but if you haven't moved in 29 years, you're not the sons of God. It's only the sons of God that are led by the Spirit. There's a lot of people in Pentecost today got the Holy Ghost 30 years ago, but they haven't had a fresh move of God in their life, and they haven't moved with God in 29 years of their life. And if that's you, you better pray through. Because the Bible doesn't say as many as who receive the Holy Ghost are the sons of God. It says as many as are led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. When God moves, they move. They don't just sit in a pew and become religious and formal. God is a moving God. And if you've got God tonight, you're going to move with God. You're going to move in the Spirit. When the Spirit of God moves, in that glory, the Shekinah glory of God, that was over that Ark of the Covenant right there, when it got ready to move, it lifted up, and everybody pitched camp. And everybody got ready to go with the, with the glory cloud. And you might say, well, I don't want to move. Well, you'd have froze to death at night and you'd have burned up in the 
in the, in the sun and uh, you wouldn't have the provision from God because you refused to move. And that's where a lot of people are in the church today. They received the Holy Ghost a long time ago, but the glory cloud left a long time ago, and they're still in the wilderness, and they can't figure out what in the world's happened to them. It is because they're not led by the Spirit of God. God is a moving God, so you put those staves in that ark, and you don't take them out. You're going to carry God with you wherever you go. And when the glory cloud gets ready to leave, it doesn't matter what time of day it is, it doesn't matter how you feel, if you like it or you don't like it, when God gets ready to move, you better go with Him because if you don't, it's going to be cold. It's going to be hot. That's the problem with the church today. Because it doesn't move with the Spirit of God when the Spirit of God... Now, I'm not saying you. You're, you're the church of all churches. You always move with God when God moves. What's wrong with you? Somebody shout, praise the Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. As many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Now, there are a lot of times when God's glory class is going to say, it's time for I'm leaving. What are you going to do? Are you going to move with Him? Are you going to go with Him? If you do, guess what? You're going to have His presence. You're going to have His provision. You're going to have His protection from the heat and His, His protection from the cold at night. As many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. So he says, you put those staves in there and you don't take them out until the temple's built and then we can set that in there and we can move the staves out because God in that time frame in the kingdom age is when God does everything all by Himself. It's the sovereignty of God in the kingdom age. Say amen. Say praise the Lord, church. Now, I know you know all of this, but it doesn't help for us to go back over again. Does it? I got two amens. Well, that sounds like I told you. I just, you know, bragged on you. Say so you're the church of all churches. Didn't you? All right. So are we? Are we still being led by the Spirit of God? Amen. I want to be led by the Spirit of God, don't you? If God's moving, I want to move with Him. And if I got God, I'm going to move with God. Only people who move really have God. If you're not moving, you don't really have God. Good news is you can get in a prayer room somewhere and you can pray through and find out where God is. I said find out where God is and get where He is. Hallelujah, Jesus. Now, I know some of you, some people, you know what they do, not you. Not you, but you know what some people do? They just go find another church that's not moving. And they sit there comfortable not moving. There's some churches that haven't had a fresh move of God in years. And the people that are there are just content not to have a move of God in their life because it makes them uncomfortable. Because when God starts moving, you might have to give up some traditions. When God starts moving, you... You have to get rid of some Laodicea stuff, some lukewarm stuff, some carnal stuff, some fleshly stuff, some idols that are in your life. God's saying, you need to do what I tell you to do, and you need to move when I tell you to move. And that might mean you might have to leave that boyfriend behind that's not of God. 
You might have to leave that girlfriend behind that's not of God. Yeah, brother, he's got it under control. I get a little loud. He said, what I got to do is I got to be back there so I can set the compression. So, amen. It doesn't go crazy on us. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to be in the will of God, you've got to be willing to leave some stuff. You've got to be able to lay down some stuff. Hallelujah. They're called weights in the Bible. Woo. I feel electrified. Lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset you. Hallelujah. You're going to walk with God. You're going to have to change the way you dress, ladies. Ladies wear dresses. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad tonight, but you know, I don't have to tell you that. If you're going to move with the Spirit of God, then you're going to have to dress like God tells you to dress. You're going to have to leave some stuff that the world wants you to put on behind. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Say amen. If you want to walk with God, if you want to fellowship with God, you're going to have to move with God. That means you're going to have to leave some stuff behind. And I promise you, you and I will make some decisions in our life. And that is, I want this more than I want God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. God knows, God knows everybody's not going to follow Him. God knows everybody's not going to uh, when he gets ready to move, move with him. He knows that there's going to be some pew setters that no matter what you do, you can put dynamite in their pew and they're going to stay where they are. Jesus' name. I'm coming hard and I'm coming fast. And I don't care what you think about me tonight because I'm giving you the truth. We need a present move of God in our lives, not something that happened 10 years ago. And sometimes God, he'll, he'll just, he'll start talking to you. And he'll say, it's time for you to get in prayer. Yeah, he said, I want to meet with you at the church. I want you to pray. You've got the devils coming against you, attacking you, and you're having all kinds of problems. It's time for you to meet with me so I can give you the victory. But you need to get where I am. If you're cold, it's time for you to get hot. If you're lukewarm, it's time to get on fire. We're not playing games in this church. We're not playing religion. We're not playing with anybody here. We're going to tell you what the Bible says. And if you want it God's way, then you want to be here. If you want it your way, you want to be somewhere else. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Apostle says, stir up the gift that is in thee with the laying on the hands of the presbytery. So sometimes you come in here, y'all go. If you come in here, you got to stir something up. If you got the fire in you, if you got the presence of God in you, you still got to stir it up. Hallelujah. It's a little flame. You got to stir it up. You got to breathe on it a little bit. You got to. You got to move those coals around. You got to let some fuel get in there get some oxygen in in there hallelujah let the fire begin to burn you got to stir it up stir up the gift that is in thee with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery hallelujah tonight i gotta stir it up it's not automatic for me i said it's not automatic for me i stand behind this pulpit it's not automatic for me i have to stir it up 
I have to let God lead me just like you have to let God lead you. I have to learn to love God the way I'm supposed to love God, the way you are supposed to. But we have to get rid of excuses we call our humanness. Because you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Let the Lord lead you. Let Him lead you. Let Him fill you. Let Him renew you. Let Him change you. He's not coming back for a carnal church. He's coming back for a glorious church. Now hold on and listen to me. A glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's the kind of church He's coming back for. He's coming back for a powerful church that has yielded to His will and is led by His Spirit. A powerful church that doesn't have wrinkles all over it. It doesn't have spots to it all over it. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's who He's coming back for. I got a question for you tonight. And I love you with all my heart. But I'm coming after you tonight in the Holy Ghost. If the rapture were to take place tonight, how many of you would even get two inches off the ground? We say, well, I'm ready to go. Really? Am I ready to go? The only way I'm ready to go if I'm moving with God right now and I'm moving with God in my life. Hallelujah. Y'all please sit down. Y'all are blocking the view of our guest. <laughs> I love you. I just give you a hard time. About 30 seconds. You'll be back. Say amen. All right, so let me calm back down. That's why I said you put those... Put those rings on it so the staves can carry it. When's the last time you had a fresh move of God in your life? Are you moving with God tonight? If you are, lift your hand. Yeah. Doesn't it feel good to be able, good to, be able to move with God? You know? Man, you've been surrounded by dead things all day long. Death. Your humanity. And you come to church. No, ooh, I'm starting to feel good now. I feel good all over, better than I do anywhere else. He knows what that means. Well, Brother Dice used to say, I feel good all over, better than I do any, anywhere else. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I do, I feel good tonight. I said, I feel good tonight. I didn't feel like this when I first stepped up in here. <laughs> but you just got to keep on keeping on stirring it up. You got to just keep on going and keep on going. You got to keep on pushing and pushing and pushing until finally you break through. Now, I'm feeling real good now. Praise the Lord. I, at the beginning of the service, I had to turn the service over to Sister Guerrero and let her preach. But I feel good now since she can't take over. It's my time to preach. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord is in this place. Jacob said, the Lord's in this place and I knew it not. Yeah. I'm telling you tonight, I know He is. I know He is. How many want to move with God? I want to move with God. Won't you be nice? Because when I'm nice, you sit there and you just look at me. 
Praise the Lord. I love y'all. I, I can pay in case anybody needs to. I got two lights on an exit sign back there to let you know where to go if you need to exit yourself out of here. Right there, praise the Lord. It says exit in big letters, and I really don't care if you go. I want to move a God in my heart, and I need to move a God in my heart tonight. And I'm, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm sick and tired of fleshly people. I'm sick and tired of carnal people who only want it their way. They want it to come their way. Come on, make me feel good. No, 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 no. We need God to talk to us. We need God. We got so much religion in us. We need a move of God. Hallelujah. The church of America needs a move of God. Our problem, our problem is not the current president of the United States. It's not the Senate or the Congress we got. The problem is the church is backslid. Carnal as it can be. How many of y'all want to move with God? Have you had a fresh move with God lately? Well, I've been having battle, Pastor. Well, what do you think I've been in? It's time for us to get rid of the excuses. God's trying to take us somewhere. I, I personally believe that. I, if God is done with us and He's not trying to take us anywhere, we might as well just go home tonight. I believe that God is trying to take this church somewhere. But some of us take one step forward and two steps back. Let's get with God. Let's stop making excuses. Just yield to the Spirit of the Lord and let the Lord lead us. I want to follow Him. In the book of Revelation, the Bible says they follow the Lamb whithersoever He goes. And they're called virgins. That means they're totally devoted and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They follow the Lamb whithersoever He goes. If it means they're going to die for Him, they follow Him into death. Sometimes to follow the Lamb whithersoever He goes means you're dying. But you just got to keep on following. Let the glory cloud move. And let's go with the glory cloud. Say praise the Lord tonight. If you love Him, give Him praise. See that, that Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. And you'll, you'll notice it's in the most holy place. It's 10 by 10 by 10. It's a thousand total cubic. Uh, 10 by 10 by 10, yeah. A uh, thousand total speaks of the kingdom age. Amen. The holy place is 10 by 10 by 20. speaks of the church age, 2,000 year church age. In the holy place, you walk up to the veil. The veil is there. It separates the holy place from the most holy place, 10 by 10 by 10. So you've got the church age of 2,000 years in the holy place and the kingdom age of 1,000 years, 10 by 10 by 10 in the most holy place. And the throne of God is located there. And there's a veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place. And when you walk up to that veil, that door, what do you see? You see the door that died for you to give you access into the presence of God. Because this ark speaks of the presence and the glory of God. It speaks, you talk about the glory of God, you're talking about the manifest presence of God. But in the Old Testament, there was a veil that separated, a partition, so you couldn't get into His presence. But that veil has been removed by the death of Jesus Christ. So the door that was hanging there, the veil that was hanging there was the door that died for me, that gave me access into the presence of God. And the door that died for me is also the door that rose from me. The only thing I struggle with now is the veil of my flesh. 
but he gave me access into the holiest of holies, the holy of all. And I've got the glory of God. You've got the Spirit of God. And if you have the Holy Ghost tonight, you are the Holy of Holies tonight. But there's still a, a move of God, a manifest presence of God called the glory of God that was in that tabernacle. That Ark of the Covenant was where God was located. That was the presence of God. That was the glory of God. That was the manifest presence of God, a visible presence, visible to be seen presence of God called the glory cloud. Woo, give God praise in this house. The glory was the face of God. In the Old Testament, the Bible talks about they sought the face of God. That means they sought His glory. They sought the visible presence of God. You will remember Moses in Exodus chapter 33. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I don't have time tonight, but his dad and his mama's name have to do something with the glory of God. Moses himself was a glory seeker. He wanted to see the glory of God. He wanted to know. He wanted to experience the manifest presence of God in his life. In Exodus 33, please turn there. Are y'all with me? Verse 18 of the 33rd chapter of the book of Exodus. Moses cries out to God and he says, God, show me thy glory. Show me your glory. Your manifest presence. Show me your glory. Hallelujah. Are you with me today? Mm. Help me, God, tonight. i got a lot to cover in a short period of time. You understand that only by the blood could a man approach the glory of God, and that was once a year on the Day of Atonement, and only one man could do it. It's called the high priest. He would take the blood of the, of the scapegoat and the blood of a bullock. He'd apply it to the mercy seat, sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and then seven times before the mercy seat. And when the blood sat on top of that lid, God saw the blood, and He gave access to man, to that high priest, by way of the blood, and he could experience the glory of God only by way of the blood. And if the lid was not on that ark, all God saw was the law. And then when He looked at the people, He killed them. But as long as there was a propitiation, as long as there was a lid, a mercy seat where blood had been applied, when God looked down on it, He didn't see an open law and then look at His people and kill them. He saw the blood and He said, I'm satisfied. He said, the blood's enough. The law's been broken, but it is a propitiation. I'm satisfied by that blood that has been sprinkled on the top of that mercy seat. And then seven times, Leviticus 16, at the base of that mercy seat or before it, He says, I'm satisfied with it. And only then can man experience the glory or the presence of God. They sought his face in the Old Testament, his glory. And so Moses says, God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. The glory of God. And I taught you Sunday morning that nobody could see the glory of God and live. You look straight face in the radiance of God Himself with such splendor and such brilliance as brighter than the noonday sun. If you were to look at Him, you would instantly be incinerated by the glory of God Himself. 
It's perfect light. It's an approachable light. But Hebrews 2 says he's brought many sons to glory by the blood, by the blood, by the blood. We have access into the presence of God. And the only way that you can stand in heaven before him eternally in that unapproachable light is because you've been redeemed by the blood and you've got a glorified body. Give the Lord praise in this house. But Moses said one day, he said, show me thy glory. I want to see your face. Jesus. I want to see your face. Show me your glory. And here's what God says to Moses. He says, I'll make, I'm in 33 verse 19. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. See, the glory of God is the manifest presence of God, but it's connected to His goodness. Say His goodness. He said, I'll cause my goodness, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. You see that? Connected to the mercy seat. He said, thou canst not see my face. He said, show me your glory so you can't see my face. They sought the face of God. That's the glory of God. Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock. It's a place by me to stand upon a rock. The rock is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by that I'll put thee in the cliff of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. So he said, I'm going to pass by. You want to see my glory? He said, I'm going to pass by and I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. The clefts of the rock, Jesus is the rock, and the clefts of the rock are his nail-scarred hands. And so God is teaching you and I, as he taught Moses, that in order for you to see the, the glory of God, there has to be a covering. You have to be covered. And so I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ and his nail-scarred feet and his open side. I'm going to put you in the clefts of the rock and I'm going to cause my goodness to pass before you. You see the goodness of God in the dead, dying Savior, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the one who had pierced hands and pierced feet and open side. He puts you in there so you could see the glory of God. The glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ, the one who died for you. Uh, Corinthians 5 tells us that. God took Moses, put him in the clefts of the rock, covered, put his hand over his, over his eyes as he passed by. And the Bible says Moses saw the hinder parts of God. He didn't see the face of God. He wanted to see the face of God. He wanted to see the glory of God. But God says, there's no man can look at my face and live. The only way you can see my face and live is if I put you in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, the rock, the cliff of the rock. And the Bible says he walked by, he passed by Moses, and Moses saw his hinder parts. That's the book of Genesis. 
That's God in creation. Are y'all here tonight? He kept walking by. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. Verse 22, And it shall come to pass while my glory passes by that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by and I will take my hand and thou shalt see my back parts but my face shall not be seen. Not now. Not until God comes in the form of a man and dies and is pierced in his hands and feet and side is open the cleft for the rock. Now man can be covered. Now man can see the glory of God. You know where it's located? In Jesus Christ. It's in the face of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 4 verse 6. Let's go there real quick. This ark speaks of the glory of God. The visible presence of God in the Old Testament. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God was in Him. You see it in His face. You saw the face of God. You saw the glory of God. As He's the one. Jesus died for us. Let's go to John 1, 14. Jesus' name. John 1, 1, and the beginning of His Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, or tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So now we know where the glory of God is because the Bible tells us it was in Jesus Christ. And you're going to see the glory of God. We're going to find it on the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it's located. But now, when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians tells us, Know you not that your body is the naos, the temple of the Holy Ghost, which temple you are, which means you are the Holy of Holies now, and the glory of God lives on the inside of you right now. God Himself, that ark right there, has moved on the inside of you, and it lives on the inside of you, and the glory of God is on the inside of you. And when you look at each other, all you see is humanity. All you see is wood, but there's glory on the inside of you. It's a spirit-filled, spirit-led life that's what's being taught by this ark. Say spirit-filled and spirit-led life. It's a, it's a life in the spirit. It's a spirit-led and a spirit-filled life. And when you have that, you've got the glory of God on the inside of you. Peter saw that glory come out of that humanity one time. He says in his writings, he said, We beheld his glory on the mount. When the Mount of Trans on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus goes up there and the Bible says he radiated, he, he turned into a sparkler. The glory of God starts going, it wasn't shining on him, it was shining out of him. He looked like a human sparkler that day on the Mount of Glory. Peter said, we, we beheld his glory on the Mount. That glory started coming through that humanity, that flesh. Paul in Corinthians 5, uh, 4, 6 says, we behold that glory in the face of Jesus Christ. 
And then he comes to dwell on the inside of a believer. And then you go from glory to glory as you behold him. As you behold him, as you keep your eyes on the glory of God, and as a lot of it has to do with me preaching and teaching to you, as you behold the glory of God tonight as I preach and teach it to you, you are being transformed into his image from glory to glory. See, I, I, yeah, I've already been changed. In about the 45 minutes that I've been preaching, I have already been changed. I, I have already been transformed. Because you know why? Because I've been beholding His glory in this book. As I'm preaching it to you, as I behold it, it's changing me. It's transforming me. I'm not the same man that I was when I first got here. And I pray to God that as you behold the glory of God, that you're changed into his image from glory to glory. But you got to keep beholding him. You got to keep by faith receiving what's being preached, and you will be transformed. You're going to be changed. It's not by watching Harry Potter. It's not by going to the movie and watching Hobnob. That's nothing but witchcraft. You go watch Hobnob, you know, Hobbit. You're going to be transformed into a different image. It's called witchcraft. You can go on the internet and buy that movie, find out how to do witchcraft. That's why I'm telling you the church is, is in a mess. It doesn't have enough discernment to get out of its own way. It depends on what you're beholding as to what you're becoming. I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But I don't see anything wrong with it. That's why you're so dead. You're so without power. How, I'm going to preach it to you. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're in communication with witchcraft, demonic spirits. And you come to church and that's why you can't move with God. You got Batman pasted all over your walls. Or Superman. That's what you're looking at. It makes me sick. It makes, I'm telling you, friend, it causes my blood on the inside of me to run cold when I hear that kind of stuff. I don't see anything wrong with it. What you behold is what you're going to become. You can't keep your eyes on all that mess and not be changed into that image. It's a spiritual, it is a spiritual thing. These are gateways into your soul. What you let your eyes see is what's going into your soul. What you let your ear gate hear is what you're becoming because you're letting it into your soul and your soul is being changed into that very thing. You need to repent. It's time that we repent of stuff like that. And then we wonder why our kids are not on fire for God. We need to repent. Don't worry about it, honey. I'm about ready to pack my bags and fly anyway, so I'm going to just lay it online and tell you what I think about all this trash. 
I want you to know something, friend. We need to get our eyes on Jesus Christ. We need to start worshiping Him. We need to start glorifying Him because then we're going to be changed. We're going to be transformed. You become what you look at. Because there are gates into your soul. I want Jesus in my life. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. There's a lot of stuff that I need to, all right? It's like, God, that's getting in the way. That's hindering, hindering. It's about time the church stood up and started preaching. I'm going to tell you, there's psychologists that will say to you that the reason why people do what they do is because of what they've been playing on games what they've been watching on television. That's right. That's right. Amen. And you don't want me to say it? I'm not afraid to say it. I have no fear. I'm t- I have no fear. I've lost probably the most important thing in my life, so I really don't care anymore. I'll tell you just just the way it is, hallelujah. And if I lose everything I got, so be it, but I don't want to lose Jesus Christ. I don't want to lose my walk with God. And I'm telling you what you're looking at is what you're becoming. We've got to behold the glory of God. And as we do, it's going to change us into His image. We need to be changed. We need to be transformed. Say amen. Amen. There's nothing in Hobnob that tells you about Jesus Christ or salvation or redemption by the blood or how to get to heaven. Nothing in it but witchcraft and wizardry. I don't see anything wrong with it. Well, if you need time, I'll give rope in the altars tonight. Everybody that has gone to see Hobnob. Anybody want to come? No? All right, praise the Lord. Well, then we'll go on. Ignorance. Total ignorance. I'm standing before you in fear and trembling tonight. It's time for you to start getting real with God. It's time for me to start getting real with God. How many of y'all will say amen to that? If not, if not, I hey, I don't have to be here tonight. And I know for sure you don't have to be here tonight. But it's time for us to get real. It's all this funny business, all of this acting and all that mess. It's time to get real. I don't really, sometimes I don't even want to be here. You don't want to be here? I said, no, I don't want to be here, but I'm still going to preach because I've got to be able to see him. I have to be able to see him because I need to be changed. Something messed up, something's messed up in this Holy of Holies right here. The Holy of Holies is where his head is. When you lay him out on the cross, there's seven pieces of furniture in that tabernacle. When you lay the cross out on that, on that tabernacle, it's going to put his head in that Holy of Holies. It is a parallel of your head. I've got to get my head in the Holy of Holies. Come on, I've got to see Him. I've got to look at Him. Jesus' name. I lose sleep over stuff like this. 
because I can't believe it that we spend our time with stuff like that. I can't believe it. Especially in this hour. We're either getting on fire for God, we're either moving with the Spirit, we're either going with the glory cloud, or we're losing ground fast. Y'all really want me to get beside myself? You've never seen me get beside myself. I love him, but I don't love him enough. I believe that you love him, but you don't love him enough. Somebody shout praise the Lord tonight. Moses' cry was, show me thy glory. We see it in the face of Jesus Christ now. And it's dwelling on the inside of you tonight. It's dwelling on the inside of me. Let's go back to the book of Exodus. i got to bring this to a close. That didn't cost you anything. That's free. <clears throat> Are y'all here? You know, I'm really, I love you. But if we talk more about the things of the world than we do the things of God, we got a problem. We come into church and all we talk about is, you know, we're supposed to be in the prayer room, and I hear them standing by, by my door. And I'm in there trying to study for prayer Sunday night. And we're, we're trying to get ready to preach on the end time prophecy and show you the seriousness of this hour. And we've got people that are supposed to be in the prayer room praying, talking about basketball. I don't have a problem with basketball, but when it comes to God, I do. I'm just telling you, church, as your pastor, I'm greatly concerned about where our mind is about where our heart is. And when you wonder why your kids are not on fire for God, they're so preoccupied with the things of the world, they wouldn't know God if He showed up on the basketball court. I'm just telling you tonight, we need a shake-up. Uh, we need a shake-up. We, we, we need to be awakened. Do you hear what I'm saying? Young people, you listen to what I'm telling you. You need to wake up. You need to shake up and you need to get on fire. I've seen charismatic youth groups worshiping and dancing and running and praying and fasting and seeking God and they don't have all the truth. We go from glory to glory. We're being changed. We haven't arrived. I'm going to another level of glory tonight. I'm trying to take you to another level of glory tonight. But until you get stuff out of your life that's hindering you weights and sin that's besetting you, you will not walk into this place. God cannot stand in an altar with His people when they're full of idols. He won't do it. He loves us, but he's holy. 
Now shalt overlay it with pure gold, verse 24, and make thereof a crown of gold round about it. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hezekiah in Isaiah 37 and verse 16, he said, God is between the cherubim. He's between the cherubim. Brother Patrick, get it for me. Listen to what Hezekiah said. You want to know who the king is? You want to know where he's located? Isaiah 37, 16, the prophet Hezekiah says it. <clears throat> o Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubim, the cherubim, read. Thou art God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Hezekiah said, the true God is the one who dwells between those cherubim. Hezekiah said, I'm going to show you who the true king is. He rules over the nations. He made them. The one God, the king of kings and lord of lords was sitting on that throne, Hezekiah said. And on the... In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says... Jesus, death burial, death buried, raised from the dead, then ascends up, and there's two men in white apparel, one on either side of him, a picture of the cherubim. Jesus ascends up. See, Enoch was taken up. He didn't go up in his own power. The Bible says Jesus ascended up. That means he went up in his own power. When they saw Jesus go up, those two men in white apparel said, Why stand you gazing up into heaven? He said, This same Jesus that you've seen taken up in heaven will also come in like manner. The one that you see going up, he's ascending up. He's the one going up in his own power. He's going to come back the same way you see him leaving. I want you to understand what they saw. Those two men there, the Bible says he was received up in clouds. That wasn't, that wasn't the kind of cloud that you see rain come from. That was the glory cloud. Those two men there in that glory cloud are a picture of the cherubim, and Jesus is going up in his own power. And when they saw him, they never saw a man that high. They saw God personified. They saw the king personified. They saw the one Hezekiah said dwells between the cherubim. They saw God personified, the king personified, the one between the cherubim personified, in between those two men, ascending up to sit on the right hand of God Almighty as a man. They saw him. Did that go off? Do I still have power here, brother? Okay. Jesus is the true king personified. He's God personified. He came and then he ascended up. And he said, on the right hand of God tonight, personified. The Bible says here in this verse, there's a crown around that ark. 
that speaks of his kingship. He's a prophet. He came into the world as a prophet. He walked as a prophet. He preached as a prophet. He died as a prophet. He died as a lamb. He rose as a high priest. And now he is a king. A prophet tells you what to do. A prophet represents God to man. A prophet tells you what to do. He enlightens your mind, your understanding. A priest deals with your emotions. When your emotions get cast down, he says, bring a sacrifice and I'll, I'll, I'll remove the guilt and I'll, I'll help you in your emotions. But a king directs the wills of people. And when you get into this compartment of the most holy place where the ark is located, you're dealing with the king. And when the king shows up, he says, I'm going to tell your will what to do. Because a king directs the wills of the people. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I hear the Holy Ghost tonight. There's a king in this church, and he's directing your wills tonight. I need him to give me understanding to enlighten my darkened mind as a prophet. I need a priest to take the guilt away and lift my emotions tonight. I need a king to direct my will tonight because I don't know what to do. Not my will, but thy will be done, saith the king. It's a surrender of the will of God. So he says, put a crown around that. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He directs the wills of the people. Jesus, I love you. Give God praise. I'm way over here. Yeah, it's a crown, but that's, I think I'm actually over here on the table of shining wood on that, but it's got a crown too. The ark has a crown too. Okay, so. You ready? Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Okay, you're going to put the testimony in there. The law of God. I, I need to stop right there. I need to, need to get to that point. Verse 16. Okay, 25, 16. Thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. But it wasn't just the testimony. It wasn't just the law of God. The Ten Commandments that were put there. In Hebrews 9 and verse 4. Jesus, help me tonight. I remember the story of a man. He was going to stand up and preach one night. He was going to preach to the church. And, and he told a friend of his what he was going to preach. And he says, if you preach that tonight, he says, one family's going to leave the church. And the preacher said, you mean one family's going to leave the church if I preach that message tonight? And the fellow that's talking to him said, yeah, your family. So maybe after I get through preaching tonight, there'll be one family leave the church tonight. Hallelujah. I don't think it's going to be mine, but you never know. Okay, Hebrews 9 and verse 4. You ready? What was inside that ark? Well, we know the testimony was the law of God. In 
verse 3, And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded the tables of the covenant. So now we find out by the word of God what was inside of the chest, what was inside of that preservation coffer. It was put there to preserve it. It was put there. The law was put there to preserve it in heart of it. The law of God without a lid, without a covering always condemns and it brings death. The people lifted the lid off of that ark and looked down in it, they were killed. Because when God looked at the law and then he looked at you, he said, you deserve to die. Thank God for the propitiation, the mercy seat that's put on top of it and the blood's applied so he doesn't see the law he sees the blood so he doesn't kill us. He, he says, I, it's, I'm satisfied because I died in your place. We know that. As a man, he fulfilled the law of God. And it also shows you the law is not done away with giving the time of grace because the law was what commanded that Jesus die. How can the law no longer be for us if the law was what put Jesus on the cross in order for us to be saved? Grace has law in it. But he said, you take, you put a golden pot of manna in there as well. Exodus chapter 16, I believe it's verse 16. I'm almost positive it is. The Bible says when they collected the manna, God said only collect one omer apiece. That's all you need is one omer apiece. One omer per individual. That's all you need to collect. That's all you need. So God says, now take that manna and put it in a golden pot and you put it on the inside of that ark because God wants you to know that he's the bread of life and he's the one that supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory. And anything you need, if you need it, God can meet that need because he's the risen Lord. That means the crown that's around the top of it is telling you he's alive tonight. The crown that's on the top of it tells you he's the ascended Lord. The crown on the top of that ark tells you that he's alive. And if he's alive, he's able to meet every need that you've got. Are y'all with me right here? So put a pot of manna on the inside that lets my people know I'm the bread of life. I'll sustain their life. I'll meet every need that they have. Praise God. Amen. Give God praise in this house. And then he said, Hebrews verse nine, 9, verse 4, he said, Take Aaron's rod that budded. Now, y'all remember that one, right? What that was about? Korah and his bunch got into a big debate. They wanted to be a priest of God, you know. And uh, they, wanted, they wanted the authority. And, and uh, so they started talking about what they thought. I think we ought to do this. I, I think, I thought, I think you think too much thinking to get you and I want you to think I don't want you to be mindless but be careful about what you think sometimes you start thinking you think wrong and they started thinking and they started having thoughts and those thoughts were wrong big time it cost them their life they went straight to hell but God shows up on the scene he says I'll tell you what I think I don't care what you think he said I'll tell you who I choose he says, you go get 12 rods, one rod for each of the tribes of Israel, the princes of Israel, and you go get the rod of Levi. Now these rods at one time had been, listen to me, were cut off of an olive tree. They were cut off. They were dead. But they weren't cut the day before God told them 
to get the rods, they were cut years before. Because those rods of those princes of those 12 tribes had inscribed on them the history of the tribe. When they carried those olive branches, those olive, those rods that were olive. Is that right, the olive? The rod. The almond, excuse me, almond. Almond tree. Hey, I'm just, thank God I got the Holy Ghost. That almond branch, that almond tree, when the, the leader of that tribe carried it in his hand, he was carrying the whole history that had been inscribed on that rod, the tribal history of that rod of that tribe, the history of that tribe inscribed on that rod and that leader, that prince carried it in his hand and when he died he gave it to another leader to the next generation and then to the next generation and the next generation, the leader I'll tell you something, the church is going to go on no matter what happens to me or what happens to you there's always a generation that's going to follow and the leadership, are you with me? There's going to be, are y'all here tonight? What God is saying is you pass that rod with its history down from generation to generation what God is saying, dead 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 every generation dead 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 that thing is dead it's got the history inscribed upon it he said you take that rod of Levi and you write Aaron's name on it and you take those 12 rods and you place them before the ark of God and God says I'll show you who I choose and the Bible says the next morning they walked over there they picked up the rod and Aaron's rod had budded it flowered and was producing almonds a dead 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 almond a dead 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 rod came alive it's the resurrection rod so what God is saying the one that I choose he is the one who will bring dead things to life and it's Jesus Christ that is the chosen one who was dead but has been raised from the dead. And he is the chosen one of God that brings dead people to life. Let me help some of you tonight. If you're dead in the pew and you haven't been born again, you don't have a problem with me. Because you're going to, if you're dead, you're dead. I, nothing I can say or preach to you will ever get you up. But those of you who have the Holy Ghost, the glory of God living on the inside of you, you are dead, dead, dead generationally. Dead from one generation to another generation. But God, Jesus came inside of you, the chosen one of God, and gave you life and raised you from the dead. If you're still dead, I understand that. But if you've got the glory in you, you should not be dead. You have been raised from the dead. So put the law, the testimony, put the pot of manna, and put the rod of Aaron in it. The rod that budded. You'll see it right here in this picture. You see it? There it is.
the rod that burned it, the pot of manna, and the tables of the testimony. Now, God knew that that law without a lid, nobody could go in there and look and live because it condemned everybody. Let me say it to you again so you'll get it. When God, If God was there in glory and he looked down and he saw the law, the perfection of God, his commandments, <clears throat> and then he looked at you, he looked at his law and he looked at you and he said, kill him. So he says, I have to do something about this law. I have to create a propitiation. I have to create a mercy seat. So Moses, it's time for you to be instructed to to create the lid. Verse 17. After he tells him to put the testimony in there. Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. No wood in it. Approximately 700 pounds of gold. You know the value of that. How much is gold today? An ounce. Around $2,000 an ounce. Is that what it is? Somewhere in the neighborhood $2,000 an ounce. An ounce. How many ounces in a, in a pound? 16 ounces times 700. We talk about money. The value of that mercy seat, 700 pounds of solid gold. And he said the reason <clears throat> why we need it is because we need to live to cover the law. We need a mercy seat. And it's going to be where God dwells, but we need a mercy seat where blood can be applied to cover a broken law. Moses already typically has broken the law. Taking those tables of stone, he broke the law. It's typically broken by the people. So now you need a covering for the glory to be experienced. You need to be hidden in the cleft of the rock. So make it. And Sunday morning we preached in Romans chapter 3 that he is our propitiation. That means the mercy seat. The man went in the temple and said, Be merciful to me, O God, a sinner. Be propitiated to me. Be, me. be to me like you are the mercy seat when the blood's applied. It's a lid to cover the law. Go to Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16. Verse 13. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of the incense may, may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. He shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with the finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat, the, skin, the sin offering that is 
for the people and bring his blood within the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullet. Sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So we see that the high priest on the Day of Atonement once a year goes in before the presence of God. He's the only one that can go in there. He sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat and then seven times before it. And when he does, it turns into a propitiation, a mercy seat for grace. So that now God in his glory, he can look down. When he looks down, he sees blood. He doesn't see the law that's been broken. The law is administration of death. It condemns us. But when he sees the blood of a substitute, which is the blood of Jesus Christ, when he sees that, God is at peace. His wrath is at peace. And he can look on you with mercy and grace. You and I deserve the, the searing, hot wrath of God. Every one of us do. We deserve it. We don't deserve anything less than the searing, hot wrath and anger of God. But when he looks and sees the blood applied to your life, his wrath turns into mercy by the blood. And you can experience the glory of God once the blood is applied to your life. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost. There it is. He's going to put cherubim on it. One on either side, and they're going to face each other because they're going to be in agreement. They're not going to be one turned this way and one turned that way. They're going to be looking at each other in agreement. It's called unity. There needs to be unity in the church. You can't have unity if there's sin there. Once you deal with sin, you get the sin under the blood, then the mercy of God and grace of God can begin, begin to take place in our midst. And then we need to be like the care of them. We need to be in unity with each other. We need to be facing each other. And then the Bible says they didn't just face each other as in agreement. But they looked down toward the blood. What were they doing? And those wings overstretched, touching each other at the same height as their head to cover the blood that's been applied from the assaults and the attacks of carnal men who say there's nothing in the blood. Attacks and assaults from Satan who would try to come and destroy the way into the presence of God. So they cover the blood. They protect the blood with their wings. It's underneath it. The glory of God resting between the cherubim. King of kings and Lord of lords. We see them in Revelation, crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, 24 hours a day. We see in Isaiah chapter 6, we see the seraphim proclaiming one to another, He's holy, He's holy, He's holy, He's holy, He's holy. They speak one to another, He's holy, He's holy. And these cherubim are a picture of you, the believer. When you get together and you look at each other in agreement, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. One translation is where there's two or even the third. He's I am the third in the midst of you. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So what happens is you're like these cherubim who are crying holy, holy, holy before God, worshiping praise. And when you look at each other and you say, he's holy, he's holy. 
He's a good God. Praise Him. What happens is His glory begins to manifest in between the two. His glory, His glory is manifest between the faces. So when you get two, two believers together and you start praising Him and worshiping Him, and you, He's awesome, Sister Kathy. That's right, Pastor. He's awesome. Hallelujah. Or you get a pastor preaching the Word of God, and as he preaches the Word of God, the people respond. He's awesome. He's great. He's powerful. He's awesome. Praise God. Praise God. And all of a sudden, the glory comes down in between the faces. We're two or three together, together there am I in the midst of them. Giving glory to the Lord. They also protect the access of the people of God and the presence of God who have the blood applied to their life because Satan and these demon powers will try to hinder that, destroy that way. Cherubim here guard the holiness of God. They protect the holiness of God from attacks of the enemy assaults of the enemy against the blood against the people of God who, tr who seek to come in communion with God but they are also connected to his judgment because when you talk about this throne it becomes a mercy seat by way of the blood it's still a holy throne it's a judgment throne if you look in the Bible you'll see that when God got ready to pour out his wrath on a city Like Sodom and Gomorrah, there were two angels. There was the Lord and two angels. Because they guard and protect the holiness of God when God was ready to pour out His wrath and judgment on, on a city. They're with them. That's why in Revelation chapter 6, you have the living creatures, which are the cherubim that are connected to His throne. It's the cherubim that say, Come and see! John sees a rider on a white horse. And another living creature says, Come and see! And a rider on a red horse. And it's the living creatures that are saying it. And then the third seal is opened up. And another living creature, cherubim, says, Come and see! And a rider on a pale horse. No, black horse. And then the fourth seal is opened up and a living creature, a cherubim, says, Come and see! And a rider on a gang, a gang green horse, a pale green horse, rides forth. Because those living creatures surrounded and connected to the throne are also associated with His judgment. His judgment is connected to His holiness. And when God gets ready to judge, He's got these angels involved. So send two angels with the Lord as He goes to judge Sodom and Gomorrah because they are concerned with the holiness of God. It's, it's really easy to understand who they are. They are, if you look at the book of Revelation, you look at Isaiah chapter 6, the book of Revelation, Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel 10, they're connected with the throne of God. In agreement, guarding and protecting His holiness. This is His throne. If it's one piece, it also speaks of the Lord Himself. The Lord Himself, the majestic power, majesty. 
that Jesus is the Word of God. The Word of God is seen here in these cherubim. There's two of them. They're looking down toward, they're facing each other, they're looking toward the blood. The Old Testament is in agreement with the New Testament. They're facing each other, they're looking down. The Old Testament Word of God looked to Calvary. The New Testament looks back to Calvary, at the blood. And they're in agreement together. The Old and the New Testament are in agreement. There is no contradiction. The focal point is the blood. The focal point is this piece of furniture. The focal point is that right there. The presence of God was there. That's where they focused. That's their focal point. It was the center of their lives. God was there. That's the, that represents the presence of God. And as you study the ark through history, you'll see it moving from place to place to place. It's all fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see the type being fulfilled by the anti-type in Jesus Christ. I don't have time today, but this Ark of the Covenant speaks of His birth. It speaks of His ministry. It speaks of His life. It speaks of His death. It speaks of His resurrection. It speaks of His ascension. And it speaks of His second coming. All the way from His birth to His second coming is seen in that Ark of the Covenant. And it's carried from one place to another in the Old Testament. And it's all a type of the movements of Jesus when He would come into the world. Once all the way to the kingdom age, the thousand year kingdom age, He would come and set up an earthly kingdom. But before He sets up that earthly kingdom, He'll have to judge those who have not allowed the blood to be applied to their life. And those caravan will be involved. Verse 20, and the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubim be. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. You won't cover it. Romans 3, let's close with this. Bible says in Romans 3 for God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteous for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God he is our propitiation that means propitiation means mercy seat it means God's wrath has been appeased it's been satisfied when the Lord looks at the blood he sees the death of somebody else on your behalf and he says the death of somebody else on your behalf is enough and sufficient. So God can show mercy to us tonight. Verse 22, and there will I meet with thee. Say, there will I meet with thee. That's exactly what God wanted to do. In the Garden of Eden, he wanted to fellowship, he wanted to fellowship with his people. He wanted fellowship with Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. He said, where art thou? Why? Because he wanted to fellowship with man. 
He wanted them to build that tabernacle so that he could be in the midst of his people. He wants to be in the midst of your life. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to be with you, among you, in you. He came down as a man, God in flesh, so that we could be in fellowship with God himself. Today, you would come into the presence of God boldly because he's been propitiated. He's been satisfied by the death of a man. A substitute. I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two caravans which are upon the ark of the testimony upon the ark of the testimony. Of all things will I will give thee and commandment unto the children of Israel. Moses set the tabernacle up and I come to a close in Exodus chapter 40 and I want to close tonight by giving you the opportunity hey Bo would you do me a favor because I can't see the bottom of this brother would you uh, take me to the, the beginning screen and I want the uh, very it's down at the bottom. It's down at the bottom. And we're going to go back to the original first screen. And I'd ask for a video. There you go. Yeah, you're right. Okay, video presentations. And then after you get that up for me, I'll take it from there, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is a picture of the wilderness and the tabernacle. dwelling place of God. I want you just to see the visual. This is the encampment of Israel around the tabernacle. Huge encampment of Israel which we preached to you about. There's the glory path. You guys see above the tabernacle itself. You have that living on the inside of you, the name of Jesus Christ. He is the glory of God. Now I'm going to run to a video here of the ark. You can watch the uh, the ark. as it comes together. I think they did an awesome job putting this animation together. You know, people in the world use their skills to do the animation of Hobnob. What these guys did there, used their skills to do the animation of the tabernacle. Isn't that awesome? Beautiful. You know, the 
testimony, <laughs> sapphire in color. Look how sacred they reverence this this piece of this uh, mercy seat. They don't even show the faces. You see how they block the faces out. How much they revere. The Jewish people don't have all the truth. The people here that developed this probably don't even know that Jesus is the Messiah. They have such reverence for these things. show you the whole coming together of the tabernacle of Mishkan and then I'm going to read the scripture to you. You don't have to read the scripture. I'll read it. You can just view. You will see all the pieces of it coming together. It came to pass the first month and the second year and the first day of the month that the tabernacle was reared up. I think I'm going to wait. There is the shining wood overlaid with gold, silver foundation. Pieces of wood, boards coming together. And in the center, Moses did all that right there. He set that thing up. There's a partition. For the veil, four pillars. It will separate the holy place from the holy of holies, and then you have what we've already taught you the coverings of the tabernacle. Furniture of the Ark of the Covenant. Stage left in it. The only piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies. Table of sheep bread. Menorah. Altar of incense. Golden altar of incense. Holy place. Five posts for the door of the tabernacle itself. 
we stuck the bar coming out of the top, and the door placed upon it. Outer courts, brass laver, brass altar. around the outer enclosure. Placed on the posts round about the outer enclosure, the stakes. Four posts of the outer enclosure door, four gospels. Holding the Lord Jesus Christ. And through that door, the tennis, the altar, the water baptism in Jesus' name, the labor, you go into the holy place, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you go into the Holy of Holies and experience the manifest presence of God. And that is a depiction of the building of the tabernacle. Um, Let's see. If you'll stand, please, as I close. In Exodus chapter 40, we see Moses. Verse 17, it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up in the 19th chapter verse 1 it tells you when they started it Exodus 19 and 1 in the third month when the children of Israel gone forth out of the land of Egypt the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai third month so now we come Exodus 40 and verse 17 we are in this, the first month in the second year so that gives you a total of nine months so just like it took nine months to prepare the tabernacle of Moses, Jesus Christ, the true tabernacle was in the womb of Mary for nine months. So everything typifies the Lord Jesus Christ, and those are the dates. The Lord told me today to be sure and give that to you, because I told you weeks ago that I would. Nine months in the preparation. Moses reared up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up the boards thereof, and put in the bars thereof, and reared up his pillars. He spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle, and put the covering of the tent above upon it, as the Lord commanded Moses. He took and put the testimony into the ark, and set the staves on the ark, put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, and set up a veil of a covering, and covered the ark of the testimony, as the Lord commanded Moses. He put the table 
in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle northward without the veil. He set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southward. He lighted the lamps before the Lord and the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of the congregation before the veil and the burnt sweet incense thereon as the Lord commanded Moses. He set up the hanging of the door of the tabernacle. He put the altar of burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation and offered upon it burnt offering and the meal offering as the Lord commanded Moses. He set the labor between the tent and the congregation of the altar and put water there to wash withal. Moses and Aaron, his sons, washed their hands and their feet thereat. When they went into the tent of the congregation and when they came near unto the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. He reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar set up the hanging of the court gate so Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Journeys. Lord, I thank you tonight for allowing us to look into very sacred things of the tabernacle. Father, you showed Moses your back parts, your hind parts, the book of Genesis, and, and from there he went up into the mountain to receive the plan, the tabernacle, that he might know the redemption of God. His desire to see the glory of God. And now, Lord Jesus, you have come and fulfilled this type and this shadow, being God in the flesh. And on the day of Pentecost, you poured out your Spirit because the blood was enough. And you came to dwell in the believer, whosoever will. I thank you, Lord, for redeeming me by your blood making my body holy of holies by filling me with your spirit and filling your church, your people your presence we thank you Lord for your word tonight that gives us greater understanding of your redemption we give you all glory and honor and praise Jesus for it and everybody said in Jesus name Amen that completes the study of the tabernacle. God bless you for being here tonight. Go to somebody and tell them you love them. And that you're glad that they're here with us. Amen.